Good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. A lot of people aren't using this service because they didn't change their clocks or they're too lazy to get up earlier. So they came to this service. Oh, that's uh, good. We don't care at what door you come in or when you come. We're just glad you're here. So welcome today. And especially our first time visitors, we're glad you're here. We hope you won't be a visitor for long or a guest. We'd love to have you a part of us. Today, we have starting point. It's usually one time a month. We have it today. There's a free lunch after this service, right afterwards, in the hub, which is a room right next to over a big room in there. And if you're new to us, and we'd love to get better acquainted, you got to eat somewhere. Just eat with us. You know, we're nice people. And uh, you may not like us long term, but you like us for today, maybe, because we'll give you lunch and get acquainted. We'll be done by 1.30 or so. We'd love to have you stick around afterwards. If everybody would fill out a connection card that's connected to your bulletin and put it in the basket later when it's passed, we'd love to know that you're here today and uh, helps us um, keep in contact. Also, we'd love you in life groups. Our life groups are our smaller groups, and everybody needs to be a part of there. There's a sense in which you'll never grow a lot deeper in the life of the church unless you're in a life group, and we don't want you to be on the fringes. We want you to be in the heartbeat of the church And life groups are the best way to do that. So I hope you'll consider doing that if you're not in one already. Uh, We're here to love the Lord together. And uh, we're here because God has been good to us. We're here because we're thirsty. And uh, we need to drink from him. Uh, There's a psalm in the Old Testament says, uh, I thirst for God like a parched land. And I hope that describes you today. It describes us when we understand our need. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for making us alive in Jesus Christ. And I pray our time in the Word today will be well spent. We will be good listeners, hearers of what you have to teach us. And I pray for receptive hearts. This is all for your glory and for our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in John chapter 4 this morning. This is a typically called in many churches the season of Lent. And Lent is a, is a time of sacrifice and surrender. A lot of people give up chocolate or give up something for Lent or something. And uh, that, that's not something that we really teach or observe in the independent Christian church. But it's not a bad thing. In fact, the, the whole concept of Lent um, is, is a picture of the whole life of following Jesus Christ. Because it's about... It's about surrendering ourselves for him. It's about giving up. It's about being who he wants us to be. And so really, it's just a microcosm of that. So if that's something you observe in your life in this season called Lent, good for you. It can be a good reminder for us. And I trust it'll be indicative of our whole discipleship journey. The person that we meet in the scripture today, Jesus meets in John chapter 4, is a, is a woman who's just been on her own. And she's been lost. She's been wandering. And then she has this encounter with Jesus, and her life is never the same. Here it is. Let's uh, read it on the screen. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five, and the man you now have is not your husband. Blush, blush. What you have said is quite true. (laughs) Sir, the woman said, Let's talk about church. I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, it has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. What an encounter. This text is about a woman who is majorly mixed up and messed up. She was mixed up theologically. She was messed up relationally and morally, and she meets Jesus, the only one, the only hope she could have for a life far different from the one she ever thought she could have. Now, many of us, most of us are living life in Jesus Christ today. Some here have not gotten to him. They're on their way toward him. There's everybody, every kind of person could be in here, I suppose, today. And yet, the same, the same remedy for life we need, and that is Jesus Christ who is our living water. We've all made a mess of our lives. There's not one of us here today that can say, I've never messed up anything in my life. We all have been. We've all been mixed up theologically sometimes. We've all messed up our lives to different degrees. But that's what brings us together. And that's why we have something that draws us together. And the something is a someone who is Jesus Christ. This particular woman needs him desperately, but he doesn't, she doesn't need him any more desperately than I do this very day. I am as dependent on Jesus today as I ever have been in my life, and I hope you are as well. We are called, we are called to this one, this only one who can cleanse us, and he can take our mess-ups and bring us to freedom in him. So to teach us, Jesus uses this metaphor of living water. Let's learn about it. First of all, living water is only for mess-ups. It's only for mess-ups. If you think your life is all together and you just need a little piece of him to make life go a little better, it's not going to work that way. That's not why Jesus came. Jews and Samaritans meet here, Jew Jew and Samaritan. This woman's a Samaritan. She's a mixed breed. Jews do not associate with Samaritans, as most of you realize. Men do not speak to women in the public place in this time, in this period in which they were talking. This woman knew her own corruption. She knew how limiting her life had been. She never dreamed when she got up this day that this kind of interaction was possible. And so Jesus reaches to her. He engages her, reaching through all the barriers that are there in gender, in race, in nation, in religion, in morals. There are all kinds of reasons why Jesus has no business talking to this woman. But he does anyway because he sees her as a real person who needs him desperately. Now, 
I don't know what she must have felt like, but I'm sure to have even anybody interested in her life must have been stunning for her. You know, sometimes we can mess up our lives to the point we wonder if God is still interested in us. Have you ever felt God has lost his interest in you? That you have taken so many wrong turns or you've done things, things that's so outside what you ever thought you would do? Or maybe you're going through a series where it doesn't seem like God is answering your prayers and you think, well, he must not be interested in my concerns right now. Nothing could be further from the truth. God, our God is a God who is desperately intrigued by people. He longs for people. He desires, does he need us? No, he doesn't need us. He is perfectly self-sustaining. But because he is a God of great love, a love that knows no bounds, he is a God who, who loves people intrinsically. That's his nature to love and to draw his creation to himself. That's simply how he operates. And this woman is so moved by this, this day that there's, there's this, even this conversation happening. Because sin, so you see, sin by its nature makes us terribly self-conscious. God wants us to be God-conscious, Christ-conscious. But what happens when we sin? Whenever we sin and we know, what we hide we, we, we cover ourselves. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were naked. They didn't care until they sinned. When they moved out God from chief position, that's when the Bible says they knew they were naked and they hid from God or did their best to hide from him because that's the nature of sin. It makes us more, more self-aware and less God-aware. You know it, don't you? If you know you've had a bad week with God, the last thing you want to do is go to church. Because you feel dirty, you feel unworthy, you feel like, you know, I can't go there because somehow God's going to know you better there than at your home or something. I don't know. We're crazy the way we think, right? And so it draws us, it separates us from God. That's the nature of sin. And what is the, for, this, for this woman to come here, I mean, to have this conversation, I mean, to, for it to go anywhere, she had to acknowledge being a mess up just like you and me. A few weeks ago, we were in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where it has a list of the Beatitudes, blessed are. Do you remember the first Beatitude, blessed are what, or who? Anybody remember? Oh, somebody remember. Oh, very, thank you. You were just shy, weren't you? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which means blessed are those who know how impoverished they are. Blessed are those who know how empty they are, how needy they are. They are on their way to the kingdom of heaven. If you think you're all that, can't be in the kingdom. You have to know what a mess up you are. I am as well. Living water, second of all, is magnanimous for mess ups. I love that word. Have you ever said it? Say it. Just say it. Magnanimous. Oh, isn't that great word? Just flows off your tongue, doesn't it? He's talking about salvation, but he's talking about more than that. He's talking about life purpose. He's talking about something bigger than ourselves. He's saying, my salvation, the life I give you, is as necessary to you spiritually as water is to you physically. Just as the body can't exist without water, your soul cannot be whole and complete and with purpose until you have my salvation. Our soul, we were created to crave God, our creator. We were made to crave him. And we try to stuff other things into that but they're, they're always, it's just like eating junk food. You eat junk food all the time and you're still not satisfied because junk food isn't designed to really address the body's basic needs, right? And, and so it is. That's why we don't let our kids eat an hour before supper. No, you'll ruin your supper. 
Well, they're thinking, what's that got to do with supper, you know? Well, everything, because it, you know, it takes the edge off of hunger, and we won't want to eat what, what is healthy for us. And so here, this woman, she's, her soul craves living water, even though she's never thought of it that way. When's the hottest you have ever been? Do you remember the hottest you've ever been? You know, when you just didn't... Think, now, usually heat doesn't bother me. But, but my wife and I were in Israel, and we went up to Masada. Has anybody here been to Masada? Have you been hotter in your life? I don't think so, yes. We, Masada was a fortress that King Herod uh, built for himself up there. It's the highest point in Israel. And the Jews ended up living there in the first century. There were some Jews up there. And the Romans besieged that fortress. And they built ramps over there. There's a TV series that was on years ago called Masada. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great series that tells you the story. But by the time the Romans got inside the wall, they breached the wall, 960 Jews had committed suicide. And, and, and we went up there to tour that. And they, they, they said, I'm play, take plenty of water. So Diana and I each took two liters of water. We were up there two hours. And we did not have to go to the bathroom when we came down. <laughs> I mean, the water just evaporated right out of our bodies. It just soaked it up. I've never been so hot in my life. And, you know, dehydration is a terrible thing. We say, man, I'm dying of thirst. No, you're not. (laughs) You know, dying of thirst is miserable. The tongue thickens when you get dehydrated. Your throat starts feeling like it's on fire. And then your whole body inside is like it's sunburned, but inside, not outside. It's one of the most horrific ways to die of dehydration. And Jesus is saying in, in all of this that to, to this woman and to us, you're looking for life in all the wrong places if you don't have me at the center. That's what he's saying. And even when we're in Christ, we tend to wander toward those things thinking that this college will really fix it for me. This career will do it well. If I could just make this team, if I could get this promotion, if I could have one more kid, if I could get the last kid out of house, if I could, if I could you know, buy a dog, that'll make me feel happier. You know, whatever it is. Certainly not a cat with me. Never mind, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I get in trouble every time I diss cats. I'm not, I'm not, I've sworn I'll not do that anymore, and I just did it, right? Um, You know, we always think that next thing will somehow fix it. This woman, of course, she landed in relationships. She thought the next man could do for her what she really needed. It doesn't work. This living water is magnanimous when you finally come to this point and realize how wonderful this is. How grand it is to have a kind of quenching of our souls where we'll never be longing for anything else. It it trumps all the other longings we have. Jesus said, I have what you need most, what your soul longs for, new heart, a new life, a new direction, a new purpose. You know, not not just a few guidelines. You know, it's, it's more than that. I have what you need most. The gospel is not something, the good news of Jesus is not something we just hold on to to get us through. It's the good news of Jesus that holds us. It holds us together. And it takes us where we need to be. Third, living water is desirable to mess-ups. In fact, it's desirable only to mess-ups. Only to mess-ups. You see, uh, only when dead ends are the story of our lives do we value the good news. It's only there. 
Now notice how he engages this woman. First of all, Jesus intrigues her by this statement about living water. That's a, that's a weird thought. In fact, she has any clue what he's talking about. She's saying, where, 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 where do I get this water? I don't have to keep coming and hauling my water jar here. This was an arduous task that the, the, the women of the first century took responsibility for. Terrible. There was one well here, Jacob's well. It had been there for centuries and centuries, and people kept coming there to get water. Jesus intrigues her. You know, we like water. If I could choose living in the mountains or, the, or the, by the ocean, I'd choose the ocean any day. You know, and I love the mountain. Well, I guess I'd live half hour between both, then I could go each direction. But if I had to choose, I'd choose the ocean because there's something about water. Water, we crave water, we need water. Water's captivating. I could sit on the beach all day, every day, and just stare and read and walk. Uh, we walk by the water, we, we stare at water. Water's captivating. And he uses this to captivate her in this discussion. So that it prompts her to ask, sir, you know, give me this water. And then he confronts her. You know, give me this water. And so then he brings up this terribly sore subject about her husband's, all the men that she's had. And she says, I don't have a husband. He's thinking, yeah, right. You had five. Sorry, I didn't say five. I said a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And you're with a man now that's not your husband. So even by, even by our standards... She wouldn't be too looking too good marriage-wise, right? She's a high risk if you want to start dating this woman. Uh, and to give her the best benefit of the doubt, maybe she's as bad at picking good men, you know. But, it, but in Jesus' day, for this to be her story, she must have looked like a prostitute. I mean, that, that she must have had that kind of view in the culture of that day. What was she doing? She was trying to get men to fill this thirsty soul that she had. Now, it was a bold move. It was a sort of in-your-face risk that Jesus took. But until we know how bad we are and how bad sin is, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't all that great. Right? I mean, see, Jesus, Jesus can't be just another piece we tack on to our already good life. We have to see how bad sin really is before the face of God. And that we all have been miserable at living up to a standard. We've all been an affront to God. We've all slapped him in the face by our rebellious spirits, our tendency to wander and, and live and be in control of our own lives. He's, he's not just an add-on. And so, what does she do? She's the one that says, well, let's talk about religion. Oh, I don't want to talk about relationships. And she changes the subject to religion. Let, ah, I so say, you're a prophet. You must be from God. Let's talk religion. And Jesus then honors her, third, by letting her change the subject to religion and worship. These Samaritans were mixed up theologically. It goes back to their history. We can't go back to all that. But they basically had built a temple on Mount Gerizim and trying to get the people to worship there and not worry about uh, uh, worshiping in Jerusalem. And Jesus, of course, sees right, uh, right through that. He follows her line of thinking, talks about, you know, the right place to worship. Jesus corrects her. Salvation is from the Jews. doesn't come from the Samaritans. Uh, he loses her in all that, basically. They're, they're done. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, when you meet Jesus, he, he's got to be the desire of our lives, and he can't be just something that is good for us. There was a man who worshiped with us for a number of years. 
um, for a number of years, like, like not long after I, I came here, he was here, and then disappeared. He came back and was here for a number of years after that, and I would meet with him. And, uh, you know, he never became a believer. He never believed in God. He never, he never surrendered to Jesus, yet he came to our worship services every week. And I'd say to him, why do you come? He said, well, because I like what you have to say. I said, you think I'm a liar. How could you say what I have to say is any good if you don't believe what I'm saying is true? That makes me a liar. Why would you come? Well, it makes me feel good. Well, well why? there must be other reasons. Well, I think it's, it's, it gives you good morals. It keeps me out of trouble. He died without Christ after years of being exposed. And one of the reasons is he couldn't, he couldn't get all his questions answered. And good friends, let me say this. You don't need a lot to come, to come to the Father through Jesus. You know, there's one thing you need to know. You need to, you need to confess who Jesus is. That's it. You don't have to have the answer for dinosaurs. You don't have to know how could God create something out of nothing. You don't have to have all the answers to all the mysteries of the Bible that you haven't worked through. In fact, if that becomes your route, you will never get to God through Jesus Christ. All you have to do is study his life and say, is he who he claimed to be or not? Is there enough evidence for me to decide this really is the Son of God? And you know out of that, you get to ask questions the rest of your life. And some of them will be answered and some won't be. But you know, it won't, it won't matter how many answers you get, questions you get answered. Only thing that matters is your deep love and reverence for Jesus Christ as Lord of life and your Savior. So, this woman, of course, is so moved that, uh, you know, she gets to other people. They say, come meet a man. Come meet a man. Do you talk to strangers? You know, I, 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 this woman shouldn't be talking to Jesus. And Jesus shouldn't be talking to her. We had a missions guy here last weekend for our leaders, Friday and Saturday. You know, there was a time in my life when I was better at talking to strangers than I am today. Uh, and I needed his reminder last week. You know, in this world, in this culture where we are increasingly suspicious of people and one another, we, as the ones who are the delivery system for the hope of the world, we've got to engage strangers, just in casual conversations, just to be interested in people. It's not until we're interested in people at all that we can ever even go further. And so maybe this week, would you practice just engaging strangers? I'm not talking about preaching to them. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying don't, don't talk to them about Jesus. I'm not saying anything. Just engage them. Just talk to people and see what happens. I started practicing that this, this week again. I was amazed at just the kinds of conversations I got to have. We didn't talk about church. We didn't talk about what I do, thankfully. We didn't, we didn't do you know, things that would, would build a, a distance. It was, just, it was a joy to engage people without suspicion. That's what Jesus did here. He just started a conversation. And look where it ended. And finally, living water is essential for mess-ups. It's essential for mess-ups. Why is Jesus so insistent on him, uh, for himself? It, 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 I mean, people, don't you have people tell you? I've had people tell me through the years, you know, you know when I'm close to God, I go to the mountains. Okay. Can you know something about God from the mountains? Sure. What can you all go about God from the mountains? Somebody say something. He's what? He's what? He's big. You can know that from the mountains, right? He's big. What else can you know about God in the mountains? He likes rocks. He likes rocks. 
Jordan, you are stellar in your, uh, in your thought. Yeah. No. What else can you know about God in the mountains? Don't make it hard. He's powerful. He's great. He's, be- he's beautiful. He's creative. He's, he's colorful. He's a genius, you know? But you can't know a cotton-picking thing about his, about his grace. You can't know about forgiveness from the mountains. You can't know about a son he sent to die in your place, can you? None of us can. We can know about God in a lot of experiences in life, but you can't know him intimately and personally. You can't know him as your redeemer and savior until you get to his son, Jesus. Should we be worshiping in this temple or that temple, she asked. This mountain or that temple. He says, it's not about that, he says. In fact, it won't matter where you worship. What was he saying? He's saying, I'm the temple. I'm the one you need to know. He says, you know, there was a time when y'all need to sacrifice animals. There's a time coming you don't have to sacrifice any animals anymore because I'm your only sacrifice you need. There's a time that, you know, you, you needed a, a priest to go in for you to the holy place, but in a little bit that, that veil of that temple is going to be torn in two and I'm going to go in for you as your only high priest and you're going to go right before the throne of God. That's what he was laying the foundation for in this whole conversation. And she can't believe what she's hearing. I don't know if she ever got to Jerusalem. I doubt that she did, being from Sychar. I doubt she ever went to Jerusalem. I don't know when she would have heard from the, about the cross. But when she, if she would have made it to the cross, you know what she would have heard from Jesus? The words, I thirst. And the thirst that he experienced from the cross was not just physical thirst, but he was dying of spiritual deprivation because he cried there, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was absolutely alone without anywhere to stand, not anyone to depend upon because he was so filled with sin and God, his father, forsook him for a time as he bore the sins that belonged to you and me. What a savior. He died spiritually and physically dehydrated, that we might drink of the living water today. These five things. First, confess your mess up. Anybody living in guilt today? As a believer, are you living in guilt? Now, if you're an unbeliever, you have a reason to be living in guilt because you don't yet have a sacrifice for sin, and that's what Jesus came to do, to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, if you're in Christ and you're carrying this weight around, you don't have to keep carrying that. You let it go. That's what the cross is about. It's, it's about, it's about the, only, the only sin that's unforgivable is the sin of continual rejection of him. That's the only sin that's unforgivable. Every other sin's forgivable. Second, then surrender to him. Surrender your mess up to him. Whatever that is, whatever you're carrying with you, give it to him and let him take it. That's why if you're paying the price for your own mess up, then Jesus didn't have to die for you. If you're going to take care of yourself, let him, let him take it. Third, encourage a mess up. Is there anybody in your life that's a total mess up? Maybe you could encourage them. Maybe you could say a word that shows your care for them and, and, and love and interest in them, like Jesus did. For pray for a mess up. Pray for whoever that mess up is. And finally, invite a mess up. Maybe you could invite a person to invite someone who knows there's no hope for me. Maybe it's a person that doesn't even recognize how bad their sin is. They would say, oh, yeah, well, I'm not perfect. And that's all they know. They have no idea how needy they are 
of a Savior. You know, it's, uh, it's only when we experience living water for ourselves and we truly, we truly want it for others. Jesus said, come to me, you drink of the living water I give you, and you'll never be thirsty again. Today, if you have not been born again in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he who repents and is baptized shall be saved. And you're on your way to a new kind of life. Let's stand and worship him.